in Scotland, he is a hero. The stuff of legends, the darling of tales of gallantry shared with patriotic nostalgia. Guardian of the highlands, vanquisher of kings, defender of the crown. Everything really but mother of dragons. Even today, some 316 years later, misty-eyed Scots will raise a wee whisky to his noble memory and pronounce, The Little Gentleman in Black Velvet. Cheers. This pint-sized assassin pounced in London in 1702. The king struck down was William III, who had seized the English and Scottish thrones 13 years earlier by overthrowing Scotland's own uh, James II. And now, in Kensington Palace, William lies dying, the victim of an insurgency that was as unforeseen as it was brutal. There he languishes, a living and dying testimony to the truth that many mighty men and women have tragically discovered. Your downfall is caused by small enemies. What we see can scare us, but what we can't will kill us. Now, if you look at William III's Wikipedia page, it will tell you that he died of pneumonia, which he did. Pneumonia that he caught while recovering from a broken collarbone, which it was. A a broken collarbone that was sustained when he fell from his horse, which he did. A fall from his horse, which occurred when his mount tripped on a molehill. The King of England and usurper of the Scottish throne was slain by a mole. The little gentleman in black velvet. The toast of patriotic Scots everywhere. A reminder that what we see can scare us, but what we can't will kill us. What we see can scare us, and they could certainly see Goliath. I mean, they couldn't miss him down in the valley of Elah. What we see can scare us, and he was nine feet tall, and tough with it. Champion of the Philistines, the enemies of Israel. What we see can scare us, and there was his coat of chainmail wearing 78 pounds, an imposing and impregnable tank. What we see can scare us, and the head of his spear was unmistakable, weighing in at 15 pounds, a prototype Sidewinder missile. What we see can scare us, and crowning his arrogant head perched an unmissable helmet of bronze. What we see can scare us, and there's this undefeatable, unstoppable, unflappable giant strolling up and down in the valley of Elah at the head of the Philistine army, taunting the Israelites, blaspheming their God, and challenging them to send out their champion for a one-on-one duel, mano a mano, the nation of the victorious soldier walking away with the spoils. But be careful, Goliath. What we see can scare us, 
but what we can't will kill us. It's today's first lesson uh, from 1 Samuel, and it's a story we love. Uh, We've known it since we were children, and our childlike imaginations are still captured by the little gentleman dressed not in black velvet, but the clothes of a simple shepherd. We love the irony of it, the justice of it, and we dreamt that we too might one day be little gentlefolk in black velvet, confronting giants with nothing more than a slingshot and a stone or two of faith. It's the second scene in our epic summer movie on the life of King David. If you were here last week for the opening scene, you'll remember Mother Sheila gave us a riveting start. This is a thrilling, romantic, swashbuckling, horror, dramedy, weepy of a biopic. You will not be able to come to church this summer without having your emotions touched by glory, tragedy, betrayal, murder, love and forgiveness. And so we were moved last week and inspired by this young lad plucked out of total obscurity, minding sheep on the hillside one minute and being dubbed the future king of God's own people the next. In today's episode, Down in the Valley of Elah, we find him only slightly older, still unknown, still ungrown, still a nice young lad, small in stature, but vast in vision, mighty in faith, and heroic in heart. Like a water boy, he only ventures into the valley of Elah to bring bread and cheese to the soldiers. But once there, his eyes widen, his pulse quickens, and he is swept up in a vision of what could be and how he could play a part. King Saul of Israel calls for a volunteer to fight this giant. And as an incentive, he promises his daughter in marriage and an exemption from paying taxes. Now we're talking. (laughs) The army goes silent. Uh, Each soldier looks at his feet the way we used to look at our desks when the teacher asked the class a question we couldn't answer, hoping that somebody would raise their hand. Then the water boy feels a warmth in his chest. He knows this glow. It's an old friend. It's the voice of God, the breath of the Spirit, the prompt to act, despite all reason, against all odds. He remembers it from the fields when predators attacked the sheep. He had come to learn in those moments that he could face lions and wolves because the Lord was his shepherd and he would lack nothing. The valley of Elah revealed David for who he was. He was the sandwich delivery boy, but he was so much more. A person of faith, a hero in the making, a king in waiting 
and it exposed Saul for who he was, a leader who allowed a young, untrained civilian to go to his almost certain death. Down in the valley of Elah, there is nowhere to hide. In the valley of Elah, your shortcomings will be magnified, your cowardice exposed, your moral deficits laid out on the desert sand for everyone to see. In the valley of Elah, your heart will be tested, your resolve examined, your determination to stand against opposition dropped in the crucible and held over the flame. In the valley of Elah, your faith will be seen for the diamond it is. Your courage will rise to the top of the dross. Your confidence in God will energize you to stand and to win. When you walk into the valley of Elah, you will confront your giants. These giants threaten, intimidate, roar. They boast and blaspheme and lie about their power. They tell you that you cannot resist their might. They will crush you, destroy you. They will try to convince you to be afraid, be very afraid of what they will do to you. I have giants too. They pick fights with me and sometimes they win. They taunt me and insult me. They sneer and mock. Who are these giants? Well, they are not human, and it would be futile to fight them with human weapons, the weapons of violence, hate, deceit, and greed. My giants are the temptations, the lies, the voices of inadequacy, the hauntings of failure. They are the seductions that whisper that God is not enough, that I need more pleasure, more leisure, more money, more stuff. They are the spiritual forces that our patron St. Paul writes about. I face them each day down in the valley of Elah. And I know you do too, because unless I'm very much mistaken, I've seen you there. What we see can scare us. And each day these giants sneer at us across the valley and threaten to overwhelm us with fear and despair. The memories of past failures, the fear of future defeats. Who are your giants? Down in the valley of Elah, they look so big, don't they? And you feel so small, don't you? Often they rage at you. Sometimes they smooth talk. They accuse, they flatter, they bluster, they entice, they flat out lie. They can be addictions to substances or to activities. They can be compulsions and impulses that deny you of your freedom, that deprive you of the joy that is your birthright as God's dignified, free daughter or son. They can be patterns of thinking that bring out the worst in you or steal your peace. They can be out-of-control memories that destroy your closeness to the people you love. 
Your giant can be your temper you have always blamed on your father. Your lack of courage that often lets others take advantage of you. Your pride that can never let you say sorry even when you know you've messed up. Now this epic summer movie is not just a biopic. It's also a how-to video, the kind you seek on YouTube when you're struggling to use your new phone. Because David demonstrates how to be little gentlefolk in black velvet. Here's how he did it. He saw what had to be done. He understood he was part of the solution. He refused to fight with the enemy's weapons. And he relied on God. In the Valley of Elah, there is no place for denial. When the giant is threatening to destroy you, you can't kid yourself that it's not real or not a big deal. As if by making a few adjustments we can accommodate each other, coexist, build my life around the presence of the giant on its terms. That won't do. The giant may be a personal habit that is is destroying something of great value. Or it might be a social sin that is dehumanising a whole community or an entire nation. But whether it is intimately personal or internationally powerful, in the Valley of Elah we cannot tolerate what Jesus could not tolerate. God, keep us from accepting the unacceptable. If there is a giant and it is destroying something beautiful, something made by God, something life-giving, liberating, wholesome, whether that is in our personal lives, those of our family members, our town, our state, or nation, or in any part of God's good creation, including on our southern border, then you and I, God's people, the men and women who have received the Spirit, and call of God cannot pretend it doesn't exist or deny that it needs challenging and slaying. What we see can scare us and it's so much easier to close our eyes, to deny the problem, to pretend it's manageable, to avoid the conversation, the self-examination, the confession... But what we refuse to see will kill us. Francis Robson knows all about this. I've never met Francis Robson and I know nothing about him. But last week I saw his handiwork on the furniture in Carlisle Cathedral in the far north of England. Galind and I were just the latest in what must be millions of worshippers and tourists who have beheld Francis Robson's legacy. He proves two things. First, that there is immense power in facing your giant. And second, the graffiti is nothing new. You see, Francis Robson scratched his name and the date... September the 21st, 1709, and did so on, of all things, a confessional. (laughs) Who scratches their name on a confessional? I am giving Francis Robson the benefit of the doubt. 
I'm judging his graffiti not as an act of vandalism, but an outburst of gratitude for the forgiveness of God he had just experienced inside that box. So full of praise was he that he had to leave a permanent reminder for the millions of people who'd walk that way after him of the lavish goodness of God's love and saving grace. And if I'm right, then Francis Robson was a hero, a little gentleman in black velvet who may have been scared by the size of his giant, but knew, like David, that he had to do business with it before it killed him. And so may we, this week, face our giants, whatever costume they are wearing, and in the strength of God, overcome. Amen.